You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. In case you've never listened in to this broadcast before, first of all, shame on you, and secondly, welcome. If you haven't, uh, we talk about all things law enforcement here. I am a 34-year police veteran and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I urge you to take a look at the website, see how you can help. So, um, there is much to talk about this week. Let's take a walk into the briefing room, where I'm going to give you my view from the blue. First thing I want to do is I want to read to you uh, something from the Chickasaw Police Department Fraternal Order of Police Lodge. And uh, this is one of those... I'm reading this because this is um, a subject that uh, is so disturbing. It's basically, once again, another police agency throwing away a police officer who was severely injured in the line of duty. This is to the citizens of Chickasaw from the Fraternal Order of Police, Chickasaw Lodge Number 129. As you may remember, Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield was shot and severely injured in September of 2017 during the service of a search warrant while protecting and serving the citizens of Chickasaw. The Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 129, your local Chickasaw FOP Lodge, is saddened to announce that Sergeant Matthew Schofield, Schoolfield was notified today that his employment with the city of Chickasaw will be terminated effective the last day of February 2020. As members of the FOP, we are outraged. City Manager John Noblet has made numerous promises to Sergeant Schoolfield, guaranteeing he would always be employed and have a place with the City of Chickasaw Police Department. The city has made half-hearted attempts with employment offers which lack details and required further discussion. When questions were asked, no answers were given, or the city skirted the issues. We are asking for your help. If you disagree with this decision made by our city's governing body, please contact them. Their contact information is listed below. Now, who you want to contact? The city manager, John Noblet. And John dot Noblet, N-O-B-L-I-T-T, at Chickasaw, that's C-H-I-C-K-A-S-H-A dot org. City Manager John Noblet. Let's tell Mr. Noblet what we think about him and their decision to once again um, show their disrespect and and their 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 lack of any heart whatsoever for firing a, a police officer who was shot in the line of duty and disabled. It's sick and it's sickening. This is going on around the country. This is why I created the Wounded Blue. We fight for these men and women. And this is another example of another police agency and city abandoning one of their own in their greatest time of need. This is disgusting. Let's tell John Noblet, city manager of Chickasha, what we think about him. Thank you. 
as I said, this is only one of the stories today. Let's talk about some of the other madness that's going on. You know, um, Larry Krasner is the activist district attorney who got elected in Philadelphia. I mean, why the voters are so stupid as to elect uh, a, a punk like Krasner who who um, literally uh, hates law enforcement, does everything he can to torpedo prosecutions um, because he is uh, he, he believes that, I mean, he spent his entire career as a public defender. He doesn't think that people should go to jail for what they do, whether it doesn't matter how guilty they are. And he has made uh, effort after effort to derail prosecutions, to go after law enforcement officers, and now, once again, he is showing his true colors, so to speak. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this case. Um, well, I'm going to read. I'm going to read the headline first, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit more. Special master to investigate District Attorney Larry Krasner's handling of a cop killer's appeal. Now, when I was a young police officer in New Jersey. The first um, funeral that I ever went to as a law enforcement officer for a fallen cop was Daniel Faulkner. Daniel Faulkner was murdered in cold blood by a, a scumbag who uh, uh, is, is now known as Mumia Abu Jamal. I forget what his real name was, but he switched over, you know, as, uh, when he went to prison. Um, he executed... Officer Daniel Faulkner. He uh, saw the, he was a member of the Black Panthers at the time. He saw Officer Faulkner on a car stop, uh, shot him in cold blood, and then stood over him with a pistol in his hand, uh, executed him, shot him in the face. Um, he went to prison and was uh, sentenced to uh, to life in prison. Well, now uh, there for some reason celebrities and 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 the other uh, lib, lib, liberal ilk has decided that this guy doesn't need to be in prison. And they've been working they've been working for years to, to try and get his sentence overturned. Now, I, I mean, talk about a case that, that, that was absolutely, you know, locked up. Um, he, uh, he was shot by Officer Faulkner during the gunfight and was, was found right now, I mean, literally at the scene. Um, so now the Pennsylvania Supreme Court announced Monday that it was appointing a special master to investigate conflicts of interest in the Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner's handling of convicted cop killer Mumia Abu-Jamal's appeals. The state highest court made the move in response to a request from Maureen Faulkner, the widow of murdered police officer Daniel Faulkner, who was shot to death by Abu-Jamal. Um, now... Mrs. Faulkner went to the, the Supreme Court and demanded uh, that uh, um, that the in, that the district attorney's office be investigated because their handling of this is is so outrageous, um, and the fact that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided to make a uh, uh, appoint a special master is good news because that means that this special master is going to investigate Krasner. Now, let me let me let me let me put it here's here's how how nefarious this is. Um, Marine Faulkner's attorneys have alleged that Krasner has a personal conflict of interest 
And so do a number of other people who are closely associated with the anti-cop district attorney. Abul Jamar is listed as a board member of the National Lawyers Guild, a group that organized a legal defense of, for protesters who were arrested for assaulting police and vandalism in Philadelphia. Krasner was an attorney and lead strategist on a legal team organized by a legal association on which Abu Jamal is an active board member and is dedicated to freeing Jamal, Faulkner's attorneys wrote in their request to the Philadelphia Supreme Court. Now, Marie Faulkner began her campaign to have Krasner removed after, uh, from the case after the district attorney's office failed to oppose a request by Abu Jamal's attorneys to have the case sent back to, uh, uh, to the Philadelphia Common Pleas Court um, so that he could, get, he could uh, appeal it. Now, this, is, this has been fought, after, fought and fought again time after time, year after year. But now that the fox is in the hen house and Krasner is the district attorney, this, this puts a whole new light on on uh, this uh, uh, on this on this case, so um, Jamal was a member of the Black Panthers, convicted of the, the murder of Officer Faulkner in two separate trial trials and sentenced to death. But his attorneys were able to have the death sentence change a life in 2011 through a series of appeals. Then they appealed again on the basis that one of the state Supreme Court justices who heard the appeal had been a district attorney during the time. So. Big deal. So what? Um, in December of 2018, a Philadelphia judge ruled that Abu Jamal would have another opportunity to appeal his case. But Officer Faulkner said that the current district attorney should not have anything to do with her murderer's husband's case because of a, a, a number of conflicts of interest. So, in essence, um, uh, Krasner's wife used to be a partner in the law firm that... <laughs> that defended the guy, that defended Abul Jamar. And also, um, the district, uh, uh, the top deputy in the district attorney's office had once represented her husband's killer. So the conflicts of interest here are just outrageous. So I just wish that, that this special master had the ability to prosecute Krasner for, uh, for, th for this sham uh, and the fact that he is... Um, that he is uh, in charge of, of this appeal when clearly he has an interest in freeing this dirtbag, murdering piece of human garbage. And that's the, that is the reality. And uh, once again, we're seeing activist district attorneys um, uh, stepping in and doing their very best to uh, remove consequences from crime from these offenders. This is, a, this is a national tragedy. This is a, an issue that is facing many communities now. And really it comes down to the voters. And, and when, I see, when I see all the money being donated to these, these, these cretinous uh, uh, attorneys who get elected by the likes of George Soros, you know that this is part of a, a uh, much larger issue uh, that's facing this country. And that is the... the um, uh, attempt by the left, uh, in, in many cases, uh, an attempt that is actually being realized to tear down the very criminal justice system that these um, that these lawyers are being elected to represent.
the people of those communities. So, um, Abul Jamar uh, should have been sentenced. She should have been given the needle. Um, unfortunately, he's he's uh, serving life. And uh, let's hope that that this uh, latest attempt to get him out of prison fails as it should. And um, that's pretty much it for this week's view from the blue because we're kind of running out of time. We got a great guest waiting for us in the interview room, and let's take a walk over there and listen to him. If you love coffee as much as I love coffee, in fact, even if you don't love it as much as I do, but you like it, Law Dog Coffee Company is the newest and the greatest coffee company to come along in a long time. Now, all right, I admit I'm a little prejudiced because Law Dog Coffee is a major sponsor of the Wounded Blue. They actually donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue. And they are uh, a partner of, of the Wounded Blue in a lot of different ways. So, this coffee company is, uh, is law enforcement-based. Uh, it supports law enforcement. But most importantly, the coffee is amazing. I, I love it. I mean, it's, uh, it's rich. It's uh, uh, organically grown. It's ethically grown in, uh, in Costa Rica. It is uh, um, roasted by a family roasting company. It's been in business for 90 years. Uh, it's rich, it is delicious, and it gets delivered directly to your door. It's uh, subscription-based. You can have one pound, two pound, 20 pounds, however much you want, delivered right to your door and uh, and get a taste of this amazing coffee. So go to lawdogcoffee.com. It was one word, lawdogcoffee.com. And, and also, by the way, they get some amazing gear, uh, T-shirts and mugs and hats and all kinds of stuff, uh, really cool designs. So check it out, lawdogcoffee.com. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. I'm going to talk to you about a product that I never, ever would have thought I'd be talking about on this show. It's, um, it's a CBD product. And I have always been afraid of CBD, quite honestly. Um, although I, I keep on hearing from a lot of people that I know, uh, including a lot of injured officers, that they have been using different uh, CBD products, and they love them. I mean, I, I keep on getting recommendations to try it. Uh, but I've always been afraid to try it, uh, one of the reasons being because uh, I don't know what's in it, and I don't know, you know, if there's a THC content. THC, of course, being, you know, part of the marijuana um, plant and, uh, the, you know, part that gets you high. So I've always stayed away from it. Well, my opinion has changed. It's, uh, I, was, I was contacted by a retired uh, NYPD police sergeant who was in the cannabis business, and uh, not the cannabis business, excuse me, the CBD business. And, um, and he's also a veteran, and he and I have the same kind of viewpoints uh, about law enforcement and about, um, you know, the, the current event stuff. And he told me, a lot. He educated me, and um, and then provided me with some different products. And I got to tell you, I was a little hesitant. Um, he and he informed me that that the the difference, because you can get CBD anywhere, literally, you can go to the Seven Eleven and get it. But he told me that the difference is in 
who manufactures it and what's in it and how you know how do you know what's in it and the fact that there is no THC in this particular product. Um, he did his research. He found that this product was the best on the market. It's called Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E, and it's at luxviteCBD.com. Um, I've been using some of these products now, and i got to tell you, um, I'm, I'm sorry I waited personally, uh, but one of the things that's really cool about it is if you go to the website, you can actually look and get reports on what is in this. This is something that, that no other uh, no other CBD providers do. So anyway, uh, check out LuxviteCBD.com. That's Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E-C-B-D.com. And uh, check it out for yourself. And also, one of the cool things is that um, this company is uh, uh, this this sergeant's company is uh, going to support the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. So, check it out, LuxVitecBD.com. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement for any time, you know that. We are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have it fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist for you. You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join And if you're a police officer or have been, exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store. It's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this you know, the law enforcement community in this country, many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications 
America Out Loud Talk Radio. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? The good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L, dot com slash sleep. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, is Bob Kroll. Lieutenant Bob Kroll is a 31-year police veteran of the Minneapolis Police Department. More importantly, he is also the president of the Minneapolis Police Federation. And we've got something to talk about today that is just burning me up. And I have a feeling that, Bob, you're feeling the same way. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks once again for having me, Randy. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yes, this one is very upsetting to me. Um, the The incident we're going to talk about is uh, very troubling to me and all the members uh, of my federation. Well, let, let me read the headline, and then you and I can jump on this, because I tell you, I had to take my blood pressure pills when I saw this one. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely shocking, although nothing should shock me coming out of Minneapolis these days. It, <laughs> Minneapolis approves $795,000 settlement with suspect who shot two officers. That's correct. Um, and if you, this, the guy's name is Terrence Franklin and it happened in 2013. He was 22 years old at the time. Um, but they, you know, the, this is a, uh, your classic case where the officers did everything right. Um, they responded to shut down his violent crime spree, and he, of course, didn't comply. Shot, ended up shooting two officers, and the officers were forced to shoot and ultimately kill him in that confrontation. Can you, so can you, go, I, can you go a little more into detail for about, sure. about the, uh, the incident itself? What I, would, what I wanted to do first, Randy, is just briefly touch on this guy's criminal history. Sure. And then okay. I can go through the details. And, and you know... Of my 31 here, 15 of it were on SWAT, and these were SWAT guys that he had encountered, and not just co-SWAT guys of mine, but but good friends of mine um, that were involved in this incident. So I'm, you know, very close to what happened. In addition to being their federation, rubbed through this, but you know, at at 19 he gets a disorderly conduct, big deal. But then he's got a a theft, and then he's got fleeing police and motor vehicle, and then he's got terroristic threats, and then he's got prohibited person with a firearm, and then he's got two different accounts of second degree ag aggravated assault. Um, this is from like 18, uh, or this is from 19, 20, 21 years old. And this incident happens when he's 22. The kicker is, is in, you know, in, uh, in 2012, or I'm sorry, in 2011 is when he gets this conviction 
for second degree assault. And they stay a five year prison sentence and give him one year. So he no longer gets out and he's back on his crime spree. So he's got five years hanging when this happens all by the age of 22 years old. So the, the day of the incident, you know, if they would have stuck with the sentencing guidelines, this thing would have never happened once again, which we see all too yeah, long. Of course, of course. Um, but the day of the incident, um, this whole thing starts because a person calls in and says, uh, the suspect that burglarized my uh, apartment is back in, in the building lurking around, looking like they're trying to get in another place. They had a photo of this person. So they call. Now, this is a, uh, a prior burglary victim says that the person that burglarized their place a few months ago is back. So uh, the patrol response goes out. turns out to be two patrol sergeants arrive at the scene and find him outside the building and he jumps in a vehicle at, you know, obviously they, they order him to stop. He jumps in a vehicle, runs, drives right at first one Sergeant and then the other one and smashes into that squad car in as he, as he flees the scene. So he had done a burglary, he returned to the scene and then cops go to stop him and he tries to run two different cops over, smashes one squad takes off a little bit down the road, crashes his car again. Now in the car is an infant with a, with a, the mother of, I don't know the relationship, but there was an infant in this vehicle that he's using. Gets out and flees on foot. So the cops are looking for him in this area. Uh, there was a, a the our, what we call our, our 1280 team, our high-risk warrant team was on, was on duty and they were in the area checking. And, you know, these guys have their regular SWAT equipment, but they're all, they've got a perimeter up looking for the guy. Um, they're about ready to pull the perimeter when they hear that he comes into some store. And I don't remember the, the, the convenience type store, but they said, hey, this guy is in our store hiding from police. So they start that way. Bolts out of the store, takes off again. Uh, they lose him. And they're about ready to pull the perimeter again. Second time they lose him out the scene. And a guy says, I just returned home and my door has been kicked into my house. So they're like, okay, we got a burglary right in the same area where the guy had, where we lost this guy. So one of the uh, SWAT guys hears this. They gather the team up. They go in to check this, what's supposed to be an unoccupied home burglary. And the the team goes in and um, there's, three officers and a sergeant and they go to the basement area and they find Franklin hiding. Uh, well, actually they didn't find him. He found them. When they came down, he springs out and grabs onto the MP5 submachine gun of uh, one of the SWAT members. And, and this SWAT member is a great guy, experienced an army vet, a uh, smaller guy, but he took him by surprise. So the struggle is on for his, um, for his sub gun. And during the struggle with the sub gun, uh, the suspect gets his finger in the trigger and starts letting rounds go. And oh, he boy. hits two different officers, SWAT officers, both, uh, each one gets hit in the femur inside this basement. Um, and the sergeant steps up and basically at point blank ended the end of the issue, uh, discharged his firearm to Franklin's head. He put his vest in between where that gun was firing, his, his tack vest in between the two of them, separated them, the struggle's on, and he shot him at, in the head at close range. So he, we've got two cops, and, and uh, if not for life-saving measures, applying tourniquets on the scene immediately, these guys would have both lost a leg. 
they both have uh, shrapnel and metal rods in their in their uh, legs to this day. Um, so Franklin is dead on the scene after this crime spree. I told you his history. Um, nearly seven years. It'll be seven years this May is when the incident took place, and the, our city leaders decide to award him seven hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars. The family. So obviously the cops here are, are up in arms. So, so you know it's it, this is one of those mind-boggling decisions. Um, now I, I understand that that the the mayor that you have there. Um, seems to be um, incredibly liberal. Yes, and Only that's an understatement. <laughs> and has been anti-law enforcement uh, basically since he took office. Correct. Um, now, who's, I, I mean, was there any discussion with the, with the union about having any input into deciding to settle this case for, for this extraordinary amount of money? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, we didn't, they, they didn't include us. What happens in these settlement hearings, uh, too often is they, um, um, include one or two council members, you know, um, the, the mayor will not usually attend them, but be brief and a city attorney. And then they'll include the officers in, involved. They'll let them have input, but frankly, too little of input. And then they, they look at, cost analysis, what's it going to cost us to try this? Um, you know, could it, what's the potential for further loss? And they, they do the math and they calculate their risk and here's where we're at. But you, as you know, the more times you give away money, um, the more times they're back at your door asking for more. Now, if you, if you would fight, you know, um, aggressively defend officers involved in lawsuits, if you would, fight these they're not knocking on your door once a month you know it's and it's the same circle of attorneys that represent the families and represent uh, the plaintiffs in these situations but the more you send the message that hey we're going to settle and give away money the more knocks at the door for money you get oh absolutely now so according to the the account that i'm reading the lawsuit alleges that franklin had his hands up when he was shot multiple times when the officer's gun malfunctioned. Uh, completely BS, complete BS. Oh, and one part I forgot to mention of the incident, Randy, is uh, later on, uh, months later, um, people were out in their yard where this, you know, were in the area they were looking for him and took place, uh, where this event took place, and found a handgun and called 911. And officers responded, collected inventory of the gun, and guess what? 100% DNA match from Terrence Franklin. So something overlooked in this incident was he was initially armed uh, during this, and he pitched a gun in during the, the foot chase with the officer. So he is, in fact, a, a, an active shooter at the time that he shot. And he yep. has, he's shooting two police officers when, when the sergeant ends the threat. I don't yeah. think you could possibly get a more cut and dried case of of justifiable police shooting. You, I don't think you can. You know, and and let let's talk. You know, don't forget about what led up to all of this. Also, he's also tried to run two officers over, rammed a squad car. Um, he was a he was <laughs> running from a scene to a, a place where he was attempting to burglarize somewhere where he's already been. But yeah, 
during the incident, two officers are hit. And, and luckily, like I said, if it weren't for good life-saving measures at the scene, um, th these guys would at least have lost a leg, but they both had femoral artery hits. You know, when, when an incident like this happens, um, was there any explanation from the city council for, for this? Uh, you'll, you'll love this. Yeah. Oh boy. We've oh boy. Changed. Do I need to get my <laughs> blood pressure meds? Yes, you do, sir. We, we, we've changed. <laughs> you know, we've came a long way since then and, and we've got, um, we've got procedural justice training and we've got more cultural diversity training. And now we've got the officers wearing body cameras. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah. We, how do you, yeah, we are, our department, we've got a new chief and um, we've, we've got uh, implicit bias training. And, oh, of course. And now the officers are wearing body cameras. No, it's your, it's your classic. Um, th the thing about this city and the city leadership, and that's all 13 council members and the mayor, uh, if it's a matter of a police confronta confrontation with any minority suspect, the officers and their implicit bias racism are wrong. That's just how things are here. It is, it's sad, but true. You know, you would think that, um, that there would be at least some fiscal responsibility where, where you know, you could you could take this case to court and this is a slam dunk yes yes how, how you could lose this is beyond me you know and, and we've all I've, I've been in them before too you know a SWAT a SWAT deal where a guy uh raised a shotgun at us and we're coming through the door and we shoot him and injure him he goes to prison for six years and they get out and give him twelve thousand dollars you know it's like the the continual you know this is a very very large settlement that not one penny of it should have been given yeah, um, but but the continual, like as I say, knock at the door for hey, we need ten thousand for this and twelve thousand for that. Um, they they send a message where there are other cities uh, in our state here that completely shut down and aggressively defend their officers in lawsuits. Uh, you know, and and what that what ha that serves as a deterrent for others that it doesn't happen anymore. You know. Those cities aren't getting perpetually uh, hit up with frivolous lawsuits. How many uh, how many lawsuits do you think have been settled uh, by Minneapolis City Council that uh, that really should never have seen the light oh, of day? Yeah, I mean, in my in all my years in the job, it's tough to it's tough to imagine. I, I can give you another one personally of myself. Now, this was back in. Uh, 19, 1995 we were actually in court but um, they were going to settle on, on what was amounted to nothing more than a, a pat search that I did to this guy um, they sued for $160,000 and at that time we had a little bit more there was one Republican on the council and he was the conservative voice and he actually they were going to they were a vote away from giving this guy $160,000 back in 95 and for, for getting a pat down for, for getting a pat frisk yeah he tried to step away and I, and I held him against the squad car and patted him for weapons and threw him in the back and that result the accusation was i kicked his ass so, oh, so yeah. right, right right um so anyway the conservative member of the council calls me and says hey they want to give 160 thousand. how do you feel about this and i took him through the thing and i said absolutely not and he goes, well, good, you convinced me. I'm going to try and convince him to fight it. And they fought the case. 
by a seven to six vote. They were that close to giving this guy 160,000. Uh, seven to six vote, they said, no, we're gonna try it. We spent six weeks in trial. And this is the very big name attorney here that sues officers. I won't repeat his name to give him the, give him the props, but um, he's a very big name on suing officers in forced cases and whatnot. And at the end of a six week trial, he got zero. So what is their time worth? And that's, you know, you got to look at, yeah, they paid me, they paid the city attorney, they paid expert witnesses. But at the end of the day, the bad guy got nothing. And the bad guy's attorney got nothing. So you isn't isn't the principle? Isn't the principle of this? Doesn't this have any value at all? Exactly. I, and you would think it, it, there's right and there's wrong, and that's comes, Randy. That's your and I world. It's right and wrong, right versus it's right versus wrong, and there's not much gray area in our in our heads because I know how you are also. But um, but with these guys, it's economics, and they're like, okay, well, we can pay this, and there's a chance we could lose that much more, and it's like. At what point do you lose sight of your principle? I mean, and, and even just common sense would dictate to this. I mean, you, you couldn't lose this case unless you actively tried. Exactly. Exactly. I so let, let me ask you I'm this, kind Bob. Of as you could think of. I, it's on, I can't imagine. Let's, let's talk about, about um, the ramifications of a decision like this and how it affects the morale of the department, how it affects, I mean, you know, the two officers involved in this, um, what are, what is their thought process in this? Well, particularly the guys that, that have been shot. Now I am there and there's a, there's officers that's affected the four of them in very different ways. You know, two were shot and they, and they both walk with a limp these days. Um, um, so they're uh, obviously then, and they're lucky to be alive after it, but they're affected differently um, than the officer who at point blank range had to, had to shoot the guy to stop the threat. Then the officer who, you know, actually um, was in the struggle for his weapon, which allowed the weapon to go off. So, so that impacts all four differently. And, you know, when you're that, when you're that guy that's got the, the metal rods and the titanium rods in your leg, and you're watching the city give this guy's family nearly $800,000, obviously it's devastating to you. Um, I talked with two of the guys involved and they got, this happened Friday and they took off for the weekend with their families and had a long weekend away and, uh, uh, and they're, you know, they're not happy. They're, it's in a way it's bittersweet because it's over. They don't have to go through the thing again in the trial, but certainly they're not happy with the outcome with, with how they got there. You know, with everything that is, um, that is, you know, being, um, discovered now when it comes down to emotional and mental health for law enforcement officers, post-traumatic stress injury. Um, when, when you examine, first of all, just the trauma of the shooting itself, the physical trauma, the emotional trauma can lead to a, a um, you know, some serious post-traumatic stress issues. When you add to that a, a, understanding that the city that you work for that you almost lost your life for is willing to basically just check off the actions of the man who tried to kill you and give that family money i can't imagine what that what must be going through their minds right, right. now right you've got the adventure itself you got the recovery process and then seven years later you, you get this kick to the grind that here they are giving this this guy's family money and it sends a message, it, you know, and along with that, they got to hear 
the claims of the plaintiff's attorney, you know, that, oh, they, they, you know, if you listen to the plaintiff's attorney in this situation, this guy wasn't doing anything wrong that day. Our officers just zeroed in on a black guy and he said, let's bring him in this basement and kill him. Oh you know, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what, uh, that's what gets the guys the most is, you know, you know, let, let me ask you this. I'm just, just curious. So now this family has now, uh, basically the estate of this subject, 800,000 bucks. Can they, can they file a, uh, a lawsuit against the family for recovering damages. Uh, you know, from without being an attorney, uh, an attorney, I'm not certain. But to me, that sounds like one hell of an uh, uh, something to look into. You know, wouldn't that be justice? That would be sweet justice, Randy. Yes. Sir. Ah, I just, I just uh, got excited at the thought. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to to the situation in, in Minneapolis now, how many, I, I know that you guys have, have really had some challenges with this mayor and city council. So now it's completely democratically controlled, correct? Yes, sir. Well, uh, one green party. Out of our, we green 13, party. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. We got 13 council members and one's green party and the rest are a DFL. Yes. And, and it is the progressive ultra ultra left. Is there, I, how has the recruiting been for the department now? It, it is down and, and, you know, this is not just here. Uh, it's not just in Minneapolis. It's not just in out, outlying cities of the state. It's, uh, it, it's across the country. You know, sadly, people aren't going into this career anymore. You know, one, the economy is good. It, it's extremely good over the last several years. And uh, people can make more money and do other things and not have to go through what we're doing. You know, what, when we tested to get on, when we came out of the job, you know, there were nearly a thousand people for the test for a class here, you know, put a class of 35 people through and you had, you know, 800 applicants. Uh, same thing in St. Paul, our, our neighboring city. Um, now we're getting less than 200. And, and disturbingly, I just heard that uh, Washington County uh, Sheriff's Department, which polices where I live, uh, they had a, a, a one, one deputy vacancy and seven people turned out for the job. That's incredible. It incredible. is incredible. It, it used to be competitive. Then, you know, you got to wonder what's going to happen to our profession, too. I mean, it, it, if it used to be that competitive to get in, and now they're not, what's happening with standards? You know, you gotta, you got to worry about that in the future. But that's the way people are treating law enforcement here. Um, and it's funny you mentioned the mayor and the council because just yesterday, um, you know, we've got an interesting dynamic in Minnesota. Over half the population is in the metro area of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, and then the rest of it is, you know, out the country. Um, but we do have, uh, at the legislature, we've got some strong Republican support of law, law enforcement. And they don't like what's going on in the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul with the mayors and, and, and uh, with their city councils, how anti-police they've been. So yesterday we held, I held a press conference with several uh, House Republicans on rolling out five different bills this legislative session, which is specifically pro-law enforcement. And um, one is it's LGA funding to the cities that will be used for hiring and pay for police personnel. Well, our mayor showed up in protest of it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on a second. He 
he he protested he, being he, given money to hire more cops. Yes, he was there to dispute the facts that there were we're hiring enough because the chief put a plan together to hire 400 more officers over the next five years to get us where we need to be um, by a comparable basis. And so the, the legislature, in an effort to help these cities, um, the, they're putting money together, and there's a, there's a number of other bills. Um, one of them I'll come back and touch on you love, but, but the mayor was there to, to argue with the Republicans that no, we're hiring just fine and we've got enough cops and this type of thing. Is he living in some weird dream world? I mean, it was only just a couple months ago when it was shown how, uh, attacks in downtown Minneapolis in your business. Yes. Were, were beatings were taking place and, right. and, and you guys didn't have the personnel to answer the calls. Correct. Correct. Well, well, and one of them, we, we've got a light rail that goes right through the heart of the city, the downtown. Um, one of them had, was a specific bill for increased police on and around the light rail um, because we've had a, a huge uptick in crime around the light rail too. It's not, it's not safe transit. So, so the Met Council got involved in that, but the one I w wanted to tell you about one of one of the other mayor candidates that ran against our current one uh, two years ago, then when, when all of them were running, and again, it's when I say all of them, it's there isn't a Republican in the race that's, that has a chance. But one of them ran on the fact that we should disarm police officers. Oh, my God. And he came in. It's a rank-ordered voting. Guess what? He, he came in second or third here. <laughs> What in so so one of the bills yesterday put forth in the legislature is that it will it will make it uh, it illegal for city government to try and disarm police officers. Isn't it isn't it a sad isn't it a sad um, commentary it, that that the state has to even even try and pass a law that says something as as ridiculous as that. That's exactly, yeah, that was one of the five bills. And, and fortunately that was carried by a representative that's a former, that, that is a former officer that was shot in the line of duty. But uh, yeah, he, he's put a bill forth that will prohibit the dis disarming of police officers in any municipality. So what, I mean, as, as you move forward, um, you're understaffed, you're, you're having difficulty hiring people. Well, when, when a, when a p potential candidate that is maybe looking at a police career reads a headline like this, where, um, where uh, the suspect's family in a case like this is given 800,000 bucks. Do you think that might affect the decision-making about, uh, I don't think I'm going to go to that agency. Right. Right. You know, Hey, maybe I should go to one of the, one of the surrounding suburb agencies that, that actually supports their police and pays them well. You know, um, it's it's tough. It's making it very tough for for recruitment and even retention. Um, you know, in, in this career, usually if you if you were here five years, you were here for 20, 30 years, right? Right. You've got guys that have 10, 12 years on and are leaving, fifteen years on and then leaving to go do other things, which is alarming. Yeah, because uh, they take era, they never left, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's well, it was a career, right? It was a career. So, you know, is uh, you're, you're the, you're the head of the, of the Federation. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you are in the midst of doing that might combat some of this negativity? 
Well, you know, we try to get our we try to get our positive stuff out there uh, when we when we can. Um, I've tried I've tried to be very vocal here in the in the media and and beyond. Yesterday. Well, okay, let, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, you get a for a for that for for being very vocal. Um, who? How many people did you piss off when you uh, when you were at the Trump rally? <laughs> uh, my entire city, it's my entire city government. I think. They must have lost <laughs> their minds. Well, here, here again, Randy. Look at this. You got a, you've got a, a presidential visit, and our mayor came out for the for your listeners that didn't aren't aware of what happened. Our mayor came out and basically told President Trump he wasn't welcome in this city because we are a sanctuary city, of course, and. Uh, told me wasn't welcome. And w what a thing to say to a sitting president. Uh, in addition, they tried to, to quadruple the cost of the venue where his, where his rally was held, the right. uh, which the Trump legal team shut that down. They had a contract, fortunately. But um, why would you ever say that when, you know, if you look back just during my career, we, we had a tornado come through Minneapolis. We had a, a massive bridge collapse here. And you rely on federal funding to recover from those travesties. Now, why would you tell the president that holds the purse strings to things like that, at you being a responsible mayor, tell him, no, you're not welcome here. It's just, it's amazing. Wasn't but, there, wasn't there also something about t-shirts? Oh, for sure. And that this was a, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in past times when it was Clinton, when it was Obama, um, officers were, particularly officers in the command staff, uh, stood behind uh, in the backdrop of, of those presidents. And then guess what? Later on, they actually got promoted higher within their, within their appointed ranks for, for that. Oh, there were, shocking. <laughs> there were some of the street officers, my members that were ordered to be behind them. And they called the union and said, Hey, can they make us do this? I don't want to be there. And unfortunately it's a lawful order. So that we had officers that didn't want to be behind the president at the time and were ordered to do so and had to, um, where, we have, in this instance, President Trump coming, and, and he's been nothing but pro-law enforcement for his entire tenure, so is his administration. Uh, our officers wanted to turn out in mass, and we were told that we were not allowed to wear uniforms there. So we uh, spun up a shirt that said Cops for Trump, and they sold like crazy. We, we sold over $6,000, <laughs> $6, and we were shipping them coast to coast, and uh, we raised uh, $35,000 to our charitable arm and we gave back 32,000 of that so far to various things in the community around Christmas time, which uh, things that actually are near and dear to our, our elected officials hearts. So it was kind of a double, double whammy for them, but it <laughs> yeah. paid dividends. You know, uh, that, that's, that is creativity, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And the best part, it was a retired Lieutenant buddy of mine, a former Federation board member, he and I were in a bar one night. We drew the design up on a bar napkin. And uh, <laughs> next day, he, he's in the t-shirt business. He put it to computer and uh, created some magic, and it took off like a wildfire. That is, that is hilarious. And I think you even got to speak at the... Uh, at the I did. I uh, met the president. He, I spoke at the, uh, at the, at the pre-rally for the event, and uh, he brought myself and, uh, and uh, nine other labor, police labor leaders up on stage with them at the rally. Was fantastic. Uh, I could just imagine your mayor and council 
uh, sticking pins in their Bob Kroll dolls. Coming unglued. No, it was, it was great. And, uh, and you know, what, what a wonderful, uh, he, his entire staff, Randy, everybody on the, the president's staff said, you know, law enforcement is very important to this administration. We all want you to know everybody that I talked with leading up to that during it afterwards, met the president, met his son, Eric, met the vice president, all wonderful people. Well, you know, I, uh, he has been nothing but supportive of law enforcement. You're absolutely right. And, uh, well, you continue the fight, my friend. I mean, um, you know, the, the labor unions for law enforcement are somewhat misunderstood around the country. You know, some have some authority, some power, many do not. Um, and, and you're, you're utilizing your position for the good of the men and women who are serving um, with the Minneapolis Police Department. I have nothing but respect for you and how you have conducted yourself. So I want to thanks for, thank you for taking the time to come on to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, and talk about these important topics. It's always a pleasure, Randy, and thanks for what you, uh, thank you for what you do for us. It is my pleasure. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week we hear on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This week I have one name to read. His name is Corporal Andrew Gillette of the Sumter County Sheriff's Office in South Carolina. Corporal Andrew Gillette was shot and killed while he and other deputies attempted to serve a detention order and eviction notice at a home 3120 Thomas Sumner Highway at 11.30 a.m. The subject named on the orders opened fire, striking Corporal Gillette in the chest. Other deputies who were on the scene returned fire and killed the subject. Corporal Gillette was a U.S. Arm, uh, Air Force veteran. He served with the Sumter County Sheriff's Office for seven years and was assigned to the Civil Process Division. He is survived by his wife and 11-year-old son. Corporal Andrew Gillette, Sumter County Sheriff's Office, South Carolina. End of Watch, Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, where we bring you everything about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. A um, couple things. If you are on Facebook, please come to my page. That is the voice of American law enforcement and like it and follow it. Also, um, since you're going to be on Facebook anyway, go to the wounded blue and, uh, like that and follow that as well. If you're a Twitter, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. And, um, I think that about covers my social media presence. I do want to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people that have, uh, ideas about stories about things you want me to cover. 
I try to be as responsive as I can. And uh, anyway, I, I really do appreciate you tuning in to Blue Lives Radio. And, you know, uh, we've been on the air a little over three years now. And I hear from a lot of my folks that listen to the show that it's, that it's meaningful to you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.